Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. How are you doing, girly? I'm doing good. You just came back from sun and fun out in the pines. I know. I'm in my hot girl summer era. It's crazy. (laughs) It's not even summertime yet. Hot girl girl, late spring. The girlies are discovering me. I, I I am down to be plundered, pulled asunder, uh i am except that the fact that i'm fully sick right now uh, but i think <laughs> well, that, it's that was the problem you were so hot you turned the skies orange and now yeah, you're sick yeah yeah fully um the, the the earth is keeping me humble climate change is keeping <laughs> me very humble um they said oh you're traveling diva now we have a diva down boots uh but you know we, we do what we got to do we're persevering we are getting through it because Guess what, honeys? It's Pride Month. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mixed Reviews. We are a film podcast where we take a film subject such as an actor, director, or mini genre. We take two weeks, sometimes three, and we watch and read as much as we can, and we deliver all that information back to you. Sometimes we have to go do our gay stuff, which takes up time <laughs> to come and do this gay stuff. Okay? Um, but we're here, we're queer, and we're podcasters. Um, <laughs> and you are what? Sick. And I am what? Pinning. Padom. <laughs> um, padomining. Um, yes. Okay. Our last episode, we talked about the Gorgina, the badass Michelle Rodriguez. We asked you guys to vote on your favorite Michelle Rodriguez movie, and here are the results. Um, in last place was my pick, Battle in Seattle. I'm sure that is my singular vote. And I, Diva- I, I, I also voted for it because I saw nobody else was voting for it. Gavin, thank you. Because you knew yours was going to fucking win. Already. Yeah, but I mean, well, I picked a crowd pleaser. So yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know what? Louis right. She's very good in this. She is and more people should it. watch it. Yes. Um, especially after our skies fucking turned orange. Not but mm-hmm. a week ago. Um the Fast and Furious franchise came in with 20%. Girl Fright came out in uh, second place with 28%. And on top, it's it, it's the new stuff. They like her. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, 45%. Um, yeah. What a, what a fun movie. What a truly fun movie. And I do think that she – I think she's in an era in which she's being allowed to do her best work too. And I yeah. think that's sort of where that's coming from. But once again, I picked a crowd pleaser. So, I mean, it was very I, – I genuinely thought the Fast series was going to do better. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, you know, the I'm glad Dungeons & Dragons won. But also, yeah, do, do see Battle in Seattle. Yeah. Watch Battle in Seattle if you can. Yeah, I think she's – the, the cool thing about her is she, now she has she's in franchise stuff she's in indie stuff um she she can do it all um and we have some other old business we had a a, a reader uh, write in about um one of Michelle Rodriguez's movies absolutely and i i think this is so fun i love when people email us and and i did ask Jill her permission to read this email on the air so i'm just going to read this real quick uh this is from Jill it says i love the podcast i just wanted to say as a trans woman I derive a problematic enjoyment of the assignment. Much like The Skin I Live In, a much better film in every respect, it's like a weird adaptation of a a fiction mania, an online fiction archive for cross-dressing and transgender fiction usually revolving around transformation, story that it's hard to believe that it's the thing that got made, but I find it amazing that it did. Apparently, Walter Hill has had the script since the 70s, which makes me think that the film is some kind of deep-seated fantasy of his, so I find that interesting as well. Anyways, Jill. 
Uh, yeah. I, I did mention that we we talked a little bit in our Sigourney Weaver episode about how Walter Hill wrote it in the 70s and had waited a really long time to make it. Uh, thank you so much for writing in, Jill. I do think that's a, a good perspective because obviously, like, Louie and I are both cis men and we don't have that perspective. And I did not know about the this online fan fiction community. And so, yeah, I, I mean, there truly is... An, an audience, you know, movies exist for more than just one person. We're going to talk a lot about that in this episode, too, that, like, no group of people is a monolith. Right. And so I I, I think it's fascinating that you – I still don't love it, but I'm, I'm happy someone does. That exists for somebody. Yeah, totally. And even if there's, like, a perverse, like, fascination with something where, like, you know, Jill says, uh, The Skin I Live In is a much better movie, respect more, like – there is this like genre of like up between the body horror of it all, transness. Um, yeah, it's it, no matter how bad a movie is, it, I think like sometimes it's like, oh, what the fuck? Are, like humans are so <laughs> crazy and weirdos and like thinking how this gets done. And um, so, yeah, thank you so much for writing in. We really appreciate that. Um, and if any of you guys ever, um, you know, hear us talking about a movie that you love or hate or have a perspective that we don't bring up, like, please let us know. And we'd love to um, engage in that because um, we are but two dum-dums um, <laughs> talking about what um, we like. I received know. a diploma this weekend. I am officially just a dumb. Wow. So, yeah. A pa-dum? A pa-dum. <laughs> Louie, uh, your brain, brain has been melted. <laughs> I know fully. I, I blame Kylie Minogue for melting my brain. I've, I've listened to pa-dum, pa-dum about... 10,000 times within the last week. And um, that's her plan. That's and that's her, <laughs> that's her plan for all of us. Um, but okay, thank you, Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, we had a blast um, watching your films. Um, so let's move on. Uh, Gavin, we, we told everyone what we're doing this week because we had our May Madness contest. Um, and the winner was none other than Miss Pam Greer. Miss Pamela Greer. Um Tell me, you know, about because was Pam on our original? She wasn't on our original. Like, no, you? she is. She's such an interesting figure because she is so historic and so iconic. And yet I think she spent a lot of her career sort of overlooked by the mainstream, even while working in the mainstream. Right. Um, and not given the flowers that she truly deserves for all the things that she truly did, because She's not just an actor. She, like, lived through, like, five different movements of history, essentially. And, yeah. and you know, she's truly is an icon. Like, you know, our generation has a tendency to throw the word icon around kind of nilly-willy. But, mm -hmm. like, she is an icon. Yeah. I was um, – we're not in the um... – the mode of telling people to like listen to other podcasts on this year podcast, but I was listening to Turner Classic Movies podcast about her, and they do six episodes interviewing her about her life, and I was, I was uh, shocked is not the right word, but surprised or, or kind of like blown away how they like are very adamant like she is the first female action star has nothing to do with her blackness, even right. though a lot of her career is about her blackness, and that's very important, um, but she was an action star when women were just not doing that. Absolutely. Um, she, uh, she's American for specifically. Yes. Like I was you 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 saw me you saw me go into correction mode. Yeah. Cause well, there's... I was like I was like, wait, hold on. We did just do or not just, but we we've talked about Michelle Yeoh and right. her well, her work. I, I mean uh, there uh Chang Pei Pei. 
uh, is is commonly referred to as the first female action star. Uh, but but like Hollywood, specifically yes. in Hollywood, um, and not only was she an action star, but she was was doing a lot of her own stunts. She's also like not a formally trained actress. Um, you know, listening and learning about her life in this process for this episode. My goodness, what a life this woman has lived and what ha- she's gone through personally, professionally. Um, we talked no, – no, actually, I'm now getting confused. I was on This Had Oscar Buzz uh, yes. last week talking about Selena. And we Great talked about episode too, by the way. Your uh, passions showed through so much. It was just – it was beautiful to listen to you talk about Selena. Thank you. I I feel um, I'm so much more comfortable here with you. <laughs> and Chris I feel like, and Joe are so intimidating. First of all, they bring guns. Most people don't know that. I know they don't uh, on screen. It's guns to the forehead. Um, no, I just uh, I was like, oh my god, I've been talking so fast, like a crazy person, because I was so nervous. Um, but we talked a little bit about uh, Lupe Ontiveros, who plays Yolanda in that movie in Selena, and how you know she was playing a lot of like thankless roles and and. Um, Watching the movies for Pam Greer, you know, she's playing a lot of roles that a lot of people in and outside the community were saying are not good for black people, are not good for women. Right. One of those people was Cicely Tyson, who we've covered on this show. Absolutely. And, you know, I think like it is impossible to do the quote unquote right thing in a world where like <laughs> uh, white supremacy and and uh, the patriarchy is is the rule. Like right. ha- there's no there's no winning. Um and and both Sicily and Pam Greer are icons, are amazing, have done so much for the community um in different ways. Um and so it was on one level it's really cool to watch all her, her movies that are like maybe not the most highbrow stuff, but like super fun, super informative of uh the time in our community. Uh, like as as Americans, like you know, just like what what is going on, like in a sociological sense, but then also to like listen to her, and she she's like nothing like these. She's not um, right. Foxy Brown, and she's not Coffee. No, um, <laughs> and, and 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 to hear her na- how she navigated um, a very aggressive Hollywood system that was full of drugs and um, poor behavior, and you know she was just doing her thing. It's 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 really awesome. Yeah, it's a truly fascinating story and fascinating life. And I'm glad, you know, she's in her 70s now, but I'm glad we're able to give her her flowers while she's still alive. Totally. Uh, because she is still making... I mean, I just... I found interviews of her from this year uh, being like, hey, I still I still want to direct. I still want to write. I still... And so, like, she's yeah. not stopping, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, all right, with that being said... Why don't we get into our rewind? Pam Greer was born May 26, 1949 in North Carolina. She is 74 years old um, and she's still working. Uh, She is the daughter of Gwendolyn Sylvia, um, who was a nurse, and Clarence Ransom Greer, who was a mechanic um, working in the Air Force. Um, She says she has some memories of growing up in North Carolina um, very racist, very segregated time. Um, it's yeah, yeah. She said that buses wouldn't stop for them. They yeah. they literally had to wait until like an empty bus would pass by, and if the driver was feeling generous, yeah, he would stop. Yeah. Um, 
they because of uh her father's air force um affiliation they move uh not too uh not too much longer or later in her life to denver um and she, her truest home uh, is denver like that's where she really really grew up went to school found her people her family um and and kind of became enamored by nature the outdoors um she's really into like horses um she, it, also it's funny like denver is not typically known as a mecca of black american culture right but not only was pam you know really raised there but she was really entrenched with the black community that was there um including like going to high school with one of the guys from earth wind and fire casual <laughs> she she talks about like you know singing on the street corners with doo-wop groups and seeing you know uh old men playing dominoes and bones in the corner so there is a lot of um classic black american culture happening in denver um in her childhood as she grows up in 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 the, in the great american mountain west um there was a moment where so her mother was the main breadwinner um, she was a nurse, and um, while she's a, still a young girl, dad decides one day, "I'm out of here." Yeah. Um, he he because he was kind of like the stay at home dad, and he was just like not into that at all. Yeah, he couldn't find work. He he, you know, that put a lot of stress on the relationship with his wife. Um, but I think what was even more challenging for her was she'd really then only see him on special occasions, but he didn't move out of town. He still lived in the same town that she was yeah. in. So that's, I don't, I don't know. That's hard. That's so yeah. heartbreaking to be like, here's this person who just isn't in your life anymore. Right. He apparently just got a, another apartment in Denver and just never saw his family again. Um, Pam's childhood is, I mean, not just her childhood, but her like upbringing, her young adult life is marked by sexual assault. Um, she's told the story of how when she was a young girl, um, a group of like three boys sexually assaulted her, basically held her down and like forced themselves upon her. And um, the telephone repairman came in the room and he was enraged at what they were doing to me. And I thought I was doing something wrong and he was nuts and they were, boys ran out and I was crying. All I knew is... I felt I had done something wrong when the man came in. Get out of here. What are you kids doing? What do you think Think I caused it or I was a, a part of it? It scarred her so severely she developed uh, a stutter. Um, it wasn't until later when, you know, she kind of fosters this love of horses with, I believe it's her grandfather or yes. uncle. Um, and, and he has horses and and she spends all this time on his ranch and um, it's through spending time with the horses she heals herself and she's able to kind of come out of her shell a little bit more. Um, and so that's, I mean, again, like just learning about her life is is so, there's so many levels to Pam. And, and it's yeah. funny, it's funny how in the American conscious, people just think about her as the badass, ass kicking, you know, black exploitation girl. But like she is so much more than that. The uh, you know not not to dwell on it too much. She writes in her book Foxy. She wrote an autobiography a couple of years ago uh, that she was also sexually assaulted twice more in her early twenties. 
Um, so, you know, these are things that define a, a person and her resilience to overcome that is, uh, yeah, that's, it's tough. I mean, she, she did not have an easy path, uh, into the entertainment field in any way, shape or form. And what I love though, is that like, you know, the movies that she does are so sexually, um, forward, but like, she is like, I am in charge of this. I, and, and on top of that, she wants to show off that black women are beautiful. Yeah. And and I, I I fucking love that. Like I love. It's such a, it's such a refreshing thing too, because there is, you know, we'll get into it. I'm sure talking about some of these earlier films, but there is such a history too, of white people sexualizing black bodies as well. And for her to, you know, I mean, these films that she was making weren't really for a white audience anyways, but that they were her being like, no, this is me being in control of right. of this vessel, of, of this body that I have. And it's for me. And yeah, I'm letting you look at it, but it has very little to do with you. Right. And I think also a big um, part of her or that informs her career and her life is that she's growing up in the 60s. You know, and it is protests, war, riots, a lot of, you know, racial tensions in the United States at the time. And and she's out west, you know, she uh, she talks about going to, you know, on a she's in the church choir and they have a trip to go to L.A. And like they're trapped because of like the race riots that are happening. Yeah, they, they literally get stuck in the middle of the Watts riots. They were there for three days. And and I think they're, like, housed in, like, some people just brought them into their apartments and, like, they had to, like, stay there because it was so dangerous. But, you know, she – when she decides, you know, she grows up, she is, um, finishes high school, she's, like, I just decide I'm going to go back to L.A. Um, and family doesn't bat an eye. They're like, okay, one, well, let's get to feed. Before she goes to LA, and I do just want to point this out because this feels like a, a good stepping stone, uh, she does take a job at a radio station in Colorado. And while she's at this job in Colorado, they recommend that she join this beauty pageant that the radio station is doing. And she wins. And from there, she gets to compete in Miss Colorado, which is the next step to Miss USA. And she gets first runner up. I mean, again, racism. Because right. she wins both. Or Miss America, sorry. I know that they're two different competitions. You know what? Whatever. It, whatever. <laughs> she wins both the, like, um, gown and the bikini portions. And she still comes in second place. Um, and, and and that year at Miss America, there were no black contestants. Right. Some white girly beat her. Um, but yeah, and so she she did it, though, because she wanted money to go to school. Um, she needed tuition money, and and that's going to be like a big um, driving uh, force for a little while. Um, she just is taking jobs to pay for school. She wants to go to school, and when she so she she takes, I think she won five hundred dollars or something um, for being second place at this contest. Goes to LA, and she basically is juggling five part time jobs to pay for college. Um, she's answering phones. Um, she's waitressing, she's, she's doing everything she can just to pay to exist there. I think she said something to the effect of like, 
I had a pair of jeans and like $37. Yeah. And I got, and she, um, she, she's working the switchboard at American International Pictures, which is like, will be very informative to her career. But is she's going, is she at UCLA? I think she's at UCLA, right? Does that sound right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 And she, and it's at the time, college campuses, especially in California, are just like a hotbed of protests. Yeah. A hotbed. And she's learning. She's, and she's, her eyes are just like, fully open she can't even believe that she's able to go into stores and try on clothes where yes, white people because, are shopping because that was something that in when she was a kid in colorado her father and her were not allowed to do yeah she w- they were not allowed to try on clothes right they had to go home and try on clothes and then bring it back if they didn't want it um and so like it's these little things that you know and being there in LA and at UCLA and seeing it. And again, mind you, she right now has nothing on her brain about movies at all. Performance, entertainment at all. Um, she's just kind of like soaking up the world <laughs> um, and, and, and doing her best to pay for being there. One of her five jobs. Oh, I got to say, because just like you, Gavin, she was a DJ at night. She was uh, <laughs> DJ Pamela Greer on the ones and twos, which is funny. Cause that was my DJ name. When I DJed yeah. that strip club, DJ so, Pamela Greer. So crazy. Uh, <laughs> but her, her one of her main gigs was working the switchboard at American International Pictures, which was basically like a B-movie production company, yes. right? Like, Yeah, I mean, you know, Roger Corman gets his start there. He's making... We talked about uh, Roger Corman and his Edgar Allan Poe series of films. They're the ones that produced them with Vincent Price and Roger Corman directing. Yeah, and so she... While she's there, and at the same time at UCLA, because at UCLA, she's seeing, like, kids running around making, like, guerrilla, you know, movies, and they're kind of like, hey, you should come make movies with us. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, but I'll, like, be on tech. I'll, like, support. And so yes. she's, she's like, holding boom mics. I was in this van right behind here. There's a street here that has bungalows where we were shooting. And there were two guys pushing the van, and I was in the van. They go, you going to hold the boom. I was holding the boom. And they said, Pam, your afro was in the way, so they pushed the van. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and the van was like this. And, and the actors were walking on the sidewalk, giving dialogue, doing stuff. And, stuff. and, then, and the director, he was talking about Bertolucci and Fellini and all this. Like, I'm like, who are they? He says, well, they're the greatest director. And I go, okay, you're going to learn about them. Okay. And it was so wonderful. I was, I was hooked. You know, she's helping shoot films um, with students and, you know, getting run off by the police and all that. Um, and it, it's, it's almost like as if she's, she's like in LA and then like slowly but surely getting wrapped up in like the biz, the industry, both academically, but also uh, professionally and socially because she's working at these clubs doing DJ sets right. um, where she's running into celebrities. And, and to be clear, she is a gorgeous woman, yes. which doesn't fucking hurt. And- uh and just also to reiterate once again, her goal was not film industry. Her goal was to be a doctor. <laughs> right. That's right. She wanted to be a doctor. But so she's like, she's dibbling and dabbling with student filmmaking. Um, nothing to do with her major or her degree, but she's dibbling and dabbling. Um, but at American International Pictures, she's discovered by Jack Hill, who, you know, basically like births this star he basically yes. is like he's like no you should come and be in these movies yeah he's like i'm making a ladies prison movie in the philippines 
why don't you come and uh, we'll put you in the film? Yeah. Um, also worth noting, at this time, she is casually dating Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, um, exactly. His birth name is Ferdinand Louis Elsindor. They meet before he converts to Islam and becomes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But she says she meets him at a nightclub, but she's she's working and um, he's she's they're they're both just very charmed with each other. They're both obviously um, beautiful black people, but they are also very intelligent, very intelligent. I was going to say, if for those of you who don't know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is like maybe one of our smartest people in entertainment. And the fact that most people just think of him as a famous basketball player, admittedly a very famous basketball player, yeah. but like he is a writer. He has mm-hmm. written for shows and like yep. he, yeah, he's incredibly intelligent. Yeah. And, and so is she. And so they're just immediately taken with each other. He's like the NBA rookie of the year. Like they are the hot famous couple <laughs> du jour in LA. Um, but yeah, so at this time, Jack Hill's like, I'm going to Philippines and I'm going to make two movies back to back. You should come and do them. And she's like, well, I've never acted. I don't know what. Like, and she doesn't want to make a fool of herself. Um, and he's like, no, 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 you're going to be great. Um, and she decides, okay, I'll do it. I, you just cannot fire me. You cannot yes. fire me because I'm giving up all my jobs to come fucking make these movies. Um, and she thought, it would be easier to make money this way um, than working all those jobs. Right. And once again, all that money is for school. Right. And she says, you know, she she still at the time was like not thinking this is going to parlay into a movie career. Right. Like, she thinks I'll make these two little movies and then I'll have money to finish school. Great. Roger um, Corman, who's producing these films as part of a, a gesture towards the we will not fire you. Um, element he gives her the book an actor prepares by Konstantin Stanislavski we've talked about Stanislavski before method acting and it's literally a book that that teaches you you know how to act and react to things this book becomes Pam Greer's bible she like reads it cover to cover she bases her internal acting style on everything that's said in this book. Uh, Roger, we go in and he says, well, I'm, I'm glad you decided to take the job. He said, Roger, you can't fire me. He says, I will not fire you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to read this book of how the actor prepares by Konstantin Stanislavski. You get that book, you read it, and it'll help you become an actor. You will know what's going on. And the one thing I said to my mom and Roger, if I quit all these jobs to become an actor, I better be really good at this. I better find a way to always study and be better and be all those inspirations that I've read about and seen. And the two movies that they make are The Big Doll House and Women in Cages. Um, It's basically like this genre of movie was just like women in prison movies. Women who... uh, are sexy and bad girls and they fight with each other. I feel like these movies all have food fights in them for some reason. (laughs) Um, We've talked a little bit about exploitation films before, but just as a refresher, uh, exploitation films are the, the reason they exist is essentially there are films that are made for audiences that, you know, these are the things you can't see in a studio film. Uh, At the same time, they can be made very cheaply, so they don't cost the people that put the money up for these films 
and they make a lot of money because it's the it's literally the stuff that you can't see in other films right, right. you know and so these women in prison films are, are really like you said they're they're very titillating for a straight male audience they're you know women shirtless behind bars but like i don't know how healthy some of these films are and like i i had fun with a lot of them i was there's some that i definitely was like no thank you but uh, you know the like quentin tarantino talks a lot about like how some of them are his favorite movies and he saw them at such a young age and i'm like oh that has to be like yeah that can't be healthy (laughs) right and i think like like could these movies turn someone into an incel yeah but also (laughs) if you're like through a queer lens like i'm sure a lot of queer women watching these things and it's like oh you're seeing these beautiful women in their bodies like and so it's uh, it's very i don't want to like clearly these movies were not made for people like us gavin um, yes and, i mean and, and once again some of them are so much fun and i don't want like it, it you know we talk a lot about camp and the misuse of camp some of these are actual really good examples of i mean one of my favorites and it, it's a little further down of this series though is the big bird cage uh in which her and sid Haig play like revolutionaries and she ends up in one of these prisons and sid Haig, in order to help get her out does this like what could be considered a very offensive gay stereotypical character but he does it in such a way that it almost feels like it comes back around and i was like this is an ally it's cool she's an old friend remember Oh, yeah, hi! Hi. Listen, I gotta make this fast, First Lady. Just tell me when. Tonight, just before dawn. Ace and the boys are gonna be waiting for us across the river. A lot of these movies, for me, like, run together just because yeah. they're kind of all the same. It's like women trying to escape who are being oppressed by, like, a deviant somebody. It could be, like, a lesbian warden right. or, like, the gay overlord. Like, it's all very not subtly coded. Um... But, you know, it's all about, like, desire and right. what the the length that these hot girlies will go to break free and express those desires. Um, and so that's kind of this era of Pam. And, and to be clear, she's – how old is she at this time? I think she's, like, 19. Yeah, she's 19. She She said with the money that she made from these exploitation films, like, by the time that she stopped making, like – like 76 when she like rounded out the like exploitation of the black exploitation she could have retired she's like yeah. not, not rich but she could have retired from acting um i i do uh you know just to give like a rundown of this era specifically because this is all over the court before the like breakout of coffee uh-huh. This is literally all two years. It's The Big Dollhouse, Women in Cages, Twilight People, Cool Breeze, The Big Bird Cage, Hitman, Black Mama, White Mama. And that's from 71 to 73. 1973 is really the moment where she breaks through in Coffee. Um, and and that movie is like kind of the explosion of black exploitation. Right. Um, specifically 
women in black exploitation, yes. women leads in black exploitation. Essentially, in the seventies, the film industry was really in trouble. Hollywood was really struggling against television, and that's why you get the advancement of things like you know CinemaScope and and the extra widescreen films. And they were trying to come up with ways to get more people into theaters. At the same time. Uh, Melvin Van Peebles releases his independent film, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. And I'm not pronouncing that right because there's more S's in badass. That, <laughs> but, uh, but he is, you know, he literally thanks the black, like he in the opening credits is like, and starring the black community. Yeah. You know, he he's invigorating black people to to see his film. And this kicks off black exploitation, and essentially, it is uh, black films by black people. They're made on the cheap, and they're to get black audiences. Hollywood sees this and immediately co-ops it. And you also have to understand, from a historical standpoint, in the United States, white flight was occurring, which was right. a lot of white people leaving cities, and because they believed the presence of non-whites was upping crime, and. This, you know, leads to cities sort of falling into disrepair. These big movie houses that only exist in cities need things to play and to get audiences in there. They want more and more of these Black-led films. So really, you know, it's a six of one half dozen the other because it is Black voices being elevated. But at the same time, it's Hollywood using it in order to make enough money until the next wave comes along. And what's the next wave? Why, it's Jaws and Star Wars and these big summer blockbusters. And once those start making money, black films are out, baby. Out of here. Because everybody talk back to the screen. Mm -hmm. I, I go just to hear the dialogue because you get unbelievable hipness and the flavor of the street. And people, they would they bring their, it was like a party. They, mm -hmm. BYOB, they bring the Thunderbird, their Mad Dog 2020, the Jack Daniels, they'd be smoking the reefer and everybody would be getting just totally bombed. She's talked about how coffee was basically her mom. She, she modeled coffee, the character after her mother because coffee is a nurse. Who yes. Basically, it's a revenge movie about um, this nurse who, uh, wants revenge because uh, the community, the there's drug runners, um, got their got her little sister caught up yes. in uh, into drugs and stuff. But what, what my most interesting takeaway from watching these movies is of how number one the community fails itself, and how two people in the community like rise to like because white people don't give a fuck about right these people so it's like finding the kind of like vigilantes <laughs> uh, the responsible people within the communities that are going to save themselves because um, at the end of the day money power drugs right. violence it all corrupts everybody and it's it's funny because so the reason coffee was sort of rushed into production too which by the way pam greer actually had a hand in scripting i think we should show her not always a man helping her out of this situation, that she can get out of the situation herself. So that's all I want. And I said, and if you can't do it, then I walk. Jack Hill said, Pam, I wrote this for a white woman, and they didn't want to hold a gun. They're afraid of guns. And you, you have come up through the ranks, and um, uh, you would be perfect for it. But I haven't been to a black community, so I don't know what it would be like. So please interject, write what you feel would tell, be a good narrative, a story. But also, and I do want to mention once again, because of the Hollywood thing, Hollywood's riding high. 
Shaft had come out, which was a Hollywood movie. And so they're, they really want a female action star of their own. And they put a, they put Cleopatra Jones into production. And so AIP is like, we need our black female protagonist. And so they rush coffee into production and it comes out before Cleopatra Jones. And so it actually, it beats it. It, it becomes the template. And you're right. I think what's interesting, I found a great interview with her where she was like, coffee's not a superwoman. Coffee is right. not Cleopatra Jones. They say superwoman. I think they get me confused with, they think I've been in Cleopatra Jones and some of these superwoman films, but I'm not. I'm not faster than a speeding bullet. I don't wear capes. I don't fly. If I could fly, then I would be a superwoman, but I can't. I get out of situations on my own. I'm always getting beaten up or something happens to me. I, I take the licks. You know, I, I get hurt. I even broke my leg in coffee, and we finished the last two weeks of shooting with a cast on. We just painted a boot on it to make it match the other boot. I think the other thing that struck me about this sort of series of, of Pam Greer as, as a vigilante and is how sort of staunchly anti-drug almost yeah. all of it was. Yeah. And that's something that you're also not seeing that much because, you know, the the one of the minor villains in coffee is a a drug dealer named King George. uh, And you have that versus like the sort of Hollywood equation, which is Superfly, who's this hero who's a pimp and a drug dealer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's a lot of these movies that they're about. Yes. Defeating the most of the times it's like, there is a white person behind all this shit and we're going to take him down. Of course. Duh. Yes. To this day. Yes. <laughs> but also it's about, like, I hate saying the word policing, but it's like it is self-policing and self-managing, like, how the community continues to fail itself. Yes. You know? And and how, um, like, the, the poor decisions and how dare you take advantage of someone who looks like you, who's been through the same struggles you've been through. Um, there's... A lot of that and how, you know, you should be the ones protecting each other. And and we'll see this, like, later. Um, God, what's the movie where, like, it's – they're, like, the old um, – Original gangsters. Is original gangsters. Where yeah. it's, like, the gangs were begun to protect us from the white people who were attacking us. They were made to protect us from, you know, people who were trying to take advantage of us with right. drugs. And they've turned into something – bad and and there's a other, there's a lot of movies like this where halfway through they defeat the white guy but then the black folk who are in like supposed to be the the good guys also fall to the corruption of power and money and greed and coffee or not coffee but Pam Greer's character um is always kind of like the moral authority to be like you fucking idiots like right. you are just as bad you are just as bad um and and it's like Falling into the trap of like, well, if all the white fucking people are taking advantage, why can't I? You know? Yes. And I mean, that's literally one of the villains in Coffee yeah. himself. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Coffee is, I think Coffee is fucking great. I, um, I do too. I do too. I I had never, so uh, I, I will say, I'll fess up to it. I had not seen any of the four major, the the Coffee, Foxy Brown, Sheba Baby, and Friday Foster. I had not seen any of these four main, like, Pam no. Greer 70s vehicles. And Why would have we? I mean, like... I, well, I mean, you know how I watch movies. The, the, uh, why wouldn't I have seen these? But, um, but 
I think coffee like is such a strong start and yeah. all those other three sort of pale in comparison, even though Foxy Brown is sort of the one that's remembered the most. I feel like I coffee's so good yeah. and so nuanced and so like every scene is important and yeah, Jack Hill is maybe not the most careful director, but it it's shot really strong. She's really good in it. Yeah, it's the only uh, maybe the only one negative is like that uh, Jamaican accent that she has to do <laughs> at one point in it. I was like, well, she is doing that accent because she is undercover. So yes, <laughs> I presume a champagne cocktail is sufficient. Good man. Now I assume you've got complete protection from the police, have you? Of course. Of course, man. Now, I contacted you as soon as I arrived from Kingston because I'm told you are the very best there is in your business. That right, man? I'd say so. For as much as like, you know, black exploitation has this negative connotation maybe about like being a B movie or whatever, but there is a lot being communicated about community here. There's a lot being communicated about racism here that sure as shit studio movies were not talking about. We were not seeing the way like King the way King George gets killed in this fucking movie. Yes. Rough. Yes. She sets King George up because he he is one of the minor villains in the film, but also the real villains are white. And so they they decide to put a hit out on him. And the way that he is killed is he has a noose tied around his neck and he's drugged behind a car until he dies. And it is hard to watch. And Jack Hill thought it was excessive and and was like, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And Pam Greer was like, I don't think it's far enough. Yeah. I think I think you should be showing the audience what white people can do to us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it is hard to watch, but also like fucking very powerful. Yeah. Um, and 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 it's the truth, you know? Like it's King yeah. George is not a good person, but he did not deserve to have a noose around his neck and be dragged around. Right. And that is what, to this day, people say, oh, well, if they would only have just listened to the cops or been a good person, they wouldn't have been killed. And that's the same shit. Like, that's the same fucking thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> no one deserves that inhumanity. Um, so, yeah, that's Coffee, 1973. Um, again, like, she's made, you know, this uh, little grouplet of very uh b-list movies or you know in 19 years old she's never done any acting before she has a book a status Klofsky book and and <laughs> and a dream and a dream and and once again she was gonna quit this she she made those first couple women in prison films she you know she really wasn't even gonna come back and do coffee because of the rules that were being offered, I thought, well, I'll just make enough money in the film industry and then go back to school. Because the people were still very, not, they weren't accepting blacks in very good sound roles. They were pretty much token roles, stereotype roles, and they weren't strong. And I'm a, I'm a very strong personality, you know, I can't be very a passive. The coffee explodes. It just yeah. absolutely explodes. And she's like, oh, shit, yeah. this is what i should be doing yeah and you know oh also film history important coffee knocks live and let die the james bond film the first roger moore james bond film as well as a james bond film that is designed to appeal to that black the the black exploitation audience off of the number one charts yeah coffee becomes the number one movie in america over a fucking james bond film yeah, three months, three months after it was released. Three months, and it was still running 
yeah like movie houses were still running it because people were seeing it one two three four five times because it was that good um the movie was made for five hundred thousand dollars it made four million dollars four million dollars in the 70s are you fucking kidding me right like that's a lot of money um and and so suddenly she's she's a megastar she is a celebrity um at the time uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has uh, converted to Islam and he's like all right girly time for you to convert and let's get married and you'll be my subservient girly and she's like well <laughs> probably not so she gets really rave reviews by you know critics and and audiences uh, and so AIP is like we need to keep making this movie <laughs> over and over again yeah. um, and they go back to Jack Hill and say let's do it again he was basically blacklisted by AIP at that point because he had pissed them off. And then Coffee made a ton of money and they were like, we need you back. And so he writes Foxy Brown. And yeah. fo- the difference between Foxy Brown and Coffee is Foxy's ramped up even more. She right. is like more dangerous, more. And just a little behind the scenes tea. Pam Greer has nothing to do with the script for Foxy Brown. Foxy Brown was initially written as a sequel to Coffee. It was going to be called Burn, Coffee, Burn. Huh. And, and because they decided sequels didn't sell, they changed the character to Foxy Brown. And they're like, well, she can't be a nurse. So Foxy doesn't have a job. Foxy right. has no known occupation in the movie. <laughs> She's just, as Beyonce would say, a whole lot of woman. <laughs> I, uh, I think Foxy Brown... For as memorable as as it is for a lot of people, is a sharp decline from coffee. Mm, really, and I and I do wonder if part of that is the lack of input from Pam Greer. However, I do think it has one of the better scenes out of this series of movies, which is the scene in which she goes to the Black Panthers for help, and the Black Panthers are essentially like. It sounds like you just want revenge. And she's like, no, I like I want betterment for all of us. I want justice. What is it you really want? Justice. For whom? Your brother? Why not? It could be your brother, too. Or your sister. Or your children. I want justice for all of them. And I want justice for all the other people whose lives are bought and sold so that a few big shots can climb up on their backs and laugh at the law and laugh at human decency. None of these movies are afraid of sexuality, obviously. No. Like, sex is a part of the black exploitation and exploitation films. But she is using it to, like, just like, such a fine point to get what she wants. And what she wants is maybe revenge, but also fucking justice. <laughs> and, may, and, you know, like, and... And she's not afraid. Like this, specifically Foxy is like not afraid to get dirty to get what she wants. Um, as the poster says, she's the meanest chick in town. <laughs> I do. Uh, I do want to say to to your point, and this is a look back a little further. Uh, Hitman from seventy two. There's a scene. Um, she does not do nudity in that movie, but there's a scene where she watches the lead man put on a jock strap. And so you're just seeing him from behind as he's so you're watching. And the way that she looks at him like he's a full meal. Oh. And it just made me so happy because 
once again, there's there's this awful history of of white people sexualizing black bodies. But this was watching one black person sexualize another, and you rarely get to see women yeah. sexualize men. And I was just like, yes, 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 girl, yes, yeah, yeah. I will say, like watching these movies, there is a lot of there is a lot of like assault um, and. Uh, men behaving poorly like in in foxy brown like there there is rape there is a rape scene in this in this movie um and so you know it's again we're all watching these movies in in our 2023 glasses but i even though there is a lot of assault in them i do think like the way she deploys or the movie deploys her femininity and her sexual wiles um is very strong and she just is so good at being like she's kind of like a snake you know she's yeah. kind of like slithers around um waits to strike um and and, and again so and foxy brown combined with coffee and then sheba baby and friday foster both come out in 1975 like this is like the the pinnacle of um black exploitation fever for pam greer she is the girl um yeah. of 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 the era and it's it's you know it's the swinging um uh, you know 70s honey and on top of that i don't she casually is like running into Jimi hendrix and singing right. backup you know vocals for all these you know really cool singers and oh yeah co- we, we i know you mentioned she's a singer up top uh for one of our very first releases the uh, the big dollhouse. She recorded a song, uh, "Longtime Woman," and and so like yeah, she she's getting out there. She sung backup for Bobby Womack. Famously, his song "Across the 110th Street" opens Jackie Brown. It, it, so like, there's all these like musical moments that pop up in her career as well. Um, I do want to b- before we move into the the Sheba Baby Friday, Friday Foster of it all. Um, I do want to mention by the way in '73 after Coffee comes out. Uh. Scream Blackula Scream comes out. We talked about Blackula in our Vampires on Film episode. Uh, I had always been told Scream Blackula Scream is not as good as Blackula. I am here to say that until the end, it's actually maybe a better movie. It's so much fucking fun. It combines Blackula with voodoo. She's like a voodoo <laughs> priestess in it as well. Maybe the only knock I have in this movie is that it literally doesn't end. It literally like kind of has an ending but you're like what is happening here <laughs> good to know sheba baby uh labeled as hotter than coffee and meaner than foxy brown uh she plays a private investigator sheba shane um <laughs> and you know it's they're they're all just kind of like fighting the power yeah and again like it's it's so interesting and crazy to think all these black exploitation movies were made by fucking white people. Yes. Well, um, yeah. I and, mean, that's what I was getting at. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, so uh, I, I did. I, I think Shiva Baby as a character is very fun. I, the movie is meh mm-hmm. at best. She does the movie Drum, which is god awful, and I kind of hate that I'm reminding everybody that exists. Um, Twilight of Love, which is a romance movie in Italy, and then like. A first sort of big budget, um, but also kind of sort of straddles the line of like mainstream Hollywood and also indie 
a film called Greased Lightning from 1977. It's a biographical film starring Richard Pryor. It's the it's based loosely on the true story of Wendell Scott, who was the first black NASCAR driver. During this time, like you said, you know, she's hanging out with Jimi Hendrix. She's going to live tapings with fucking John Lennon. And she meets Freddie Prince. Uh, yes. Who's, who's doing comedy and stand-up. And at first, she's like, I do not want to get involved with this man. This man has problems. This man is on coke. Let's not... We're not going to do this. And then they decide you know she realizes she's in love with him essentially freddie prince was a very famous comedian i think most people our age know him as being the father of freddie prince jr so that hot. is yeah oh my god that as i've mentioned before that that is one of my roots is mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. into jillian on her 37th birthday anyways i digress um freddie prince wants to marry her he wants her to have a baby she knows he's depressed. She knows he's a drug addict. She can't do it. He does introduce her to Richard Pryor, who she stars in Grease Lightning with, uh, but it's only because he's there to buy Coke. Liquid Coke, nonetheless. What the fuck and, is liquid Coke? I heard that and I was like, I don't know what that means. What is that? <laughs> and uh, it, she ends up leaving him. And uh, two days before he kills himself in a hotel, he calls her and begs her for money. And she's like, you need help. He does not receive that help and he kills himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, all that is to say, he did introduce her to Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor is a huge fan of hers. He helps her get this job playing his wife in this movie, Grease Lightning. Richard Pryor is also, he's the world's biggest comedian. He's also a drug addict. He is a he is a huge problem. With drugs, he is not showing up to set on time. He is not prepared. She, at this point, is like, I'm a fucking established actress. I am important. <laughs> like, And she's you- trying to, like, take the next step in her career. Yes. She's trying to break out of black exploitation, which fully is over by this point. Like, yeah. no one is making these movies anymore. She needs work. And she's a professional. She liked planning. She liked being prepared. And to see fucking richard Pryor, like fucking up production consistently yeah. pissed her off and i cursed his ass out and i said how dare you keep us waiting for you all day who do you think you are you about to put all of us out of work i i went read him the riot act and i said go learn your lines and i'm leaving the set and i'll come back when you're ready I walked off the set and the crew applauded. I guess she told me. Midway through the shooting of this movie, she realizes um, Richard Pryor can't read. Yeah. And she teaches him how to read. And she takes it as her personal mission to rehabilitate him, essentially. She starts making him wake up early. They go exercise together. They play tennis. And slowly, she starts to fall in love with her co-star, um, I would tell you more about the movie. I don't. I think the movie's fine. Did you see Grease Lightning? I did not. There's really nice moments. I actually think Richard Pryor is very good in it. I think she's good in it. I don't think a lot is asked of her. She's sort of the wife character, which like you want more from her because you've seen her do all these amazing things in these black exploitation movies, and to have her sort of diminished as like a 
third tier character of just being like the the wife who doesn't really want him to race but also wants to support her husband's dream is kind of unfortunate i wanted to be a race car driver all my life are you crazy didn't you learn anything on that track yesterday i damn sure did i learned it can't kill me even if to try and there ain't no better driver than i am man and man i finished in this car and i can win man next time i can win they're gonna kill you wendell and that's the truth she keeps him sober for six months. She's able to keep him sober. But he starts hanging out with his friends again. Yeah. He he literally tells her, I've known them longer than I've known you. Um, yeah, it tells all the time. And, and it, to her credit, she does not let any of these fucking men drag her down. Right. Even though she does fall in love with both her and Freddie Pins and Richard Pryor, she's, like, really into them. And she's does her best to, like, help them. But... When she talks about Freddie Prince now, she's like, no, I don't fucking regret not going over there and helping him. Right. What the, what the fuck well, she knows, what, she knows that it was the wrong thing to do. To, to yeah. go, to, like, she knows why he needed money. She knows why he was asking for money. And, you know, same thing, you know, fucking Richard Pryor had a whole bit in his comedy routine about putting cocaine on his dick so he could stay hard longer. And she literally ended up with cocaine in her system because he was actually doing this. Yeah. And, so, you know, in 1981, she's she's in Fort Apache, the Bronx, um, which was a Paul Newman movie. And she was she worked so hard to get this role. It's a very small part, but it was it's it's the part of um, a sex worker. Um, she's like going full method, you know goes to New York to like really hang out with junkies and sex workers. And she's like, um, oh, this is a Paul Newman film. Like finally I'm going to, you know, be in like a big Hollywood star and get some respect. Fucking she gets a call. Like while she's on set that Richard Pryor has like burned his fucking face off because yeah. of a drug, you know, thing and how he's asking for her. And she's like, fuck off. I'm not going to go see him. I'm at work. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to fuck up this opportunity uh, because this jackoff is like still fucking doing drugs and can't take care of himself. I do also want to point out, by the way, before that even happens, she gets engaged to him. They are going to get married. She's going to be Mrs. Richard Pryor. And the day before they're set to be married, she hears on the news that he has eloped with Deborah McGuire and married another woman in 1977. So she had a reason to yes. be angry. She, you know, he had drugs in her system. He married somebody while he was seeing her. Uh, and 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 he was fucking with her bag. Right. You know, like she she wanted to be more. And she yes. knew she could be more. Um, Fort Apache the Bronx, uh, she's very fucking good in it. She's really good in it. I did not like the movie, but I think she's really great in it. And she's she's doing her J O B, baby. <laughs> A line she improvised. <laughs> Y'all want to come party with me? Uh, no, not now, baby. I got some fine for New York's finest. Well, uh, we're on the job. See, I'm on my J-O-B, too. Just like you. Shit, an important job. Y'all just take a look at this. 
before the Apache of the Bronx is a is a copaganda film about Paul Newman as Very like the copaganda. Yeah, as the only good white cop in the Bronx and he's uh-huh. the only thing keeping racial tensions before uh breaking out and you know it's I've literally never seen a film that begins with a slate that tells you it's copaganda. It's like this movie is about cops so it has nothing to do with the good work the the law-abiding citizens of the Bronx have been doing. I was like what the fuck is this? Yeah, um, they're like Guys, there are um, good brown people out there. They're not in this movie. They're not in this movie. <laughs> like, literally. Um, so, and, and, so don't be mad. Um, she, you know, she works, as you mentioned, she works incredibly hard to get this role. She, she stays up all night. She, like, comes to New York. She buys a bunch of sex gear at a sex shop. She locks herself in a hotel room for two days, stays up all night, only eats cherry pies. So she's, like, a little kind of gross looking and, and haggard. Uh, she tells this story, this really funny story about leaving her hotel to go to the audition. And she gets in the elevator and fucking Carol Burnett comes in and I look this baseball jacket a blonde wig and I'm high hi bitch what's up it's Carol Burnett <laughs> she goes oh I went oh Carol Burnett I love you I love your shoulders I'm sorry I'm an actor and I am auditioning as a prostitute and she said yes you are and she got off immediately and she was like oh my god oh my god and she said you're gonna get the job and I said thank you it's a total nine minutes of screen time in this in this two hour movie and so it's really I mean she leaves her mark on the film she opens the film by she she walks up to a police car and kills two policemen and then this group of kids is uh, blamed for this murder of policemen, which leads to like a huge race race riot in the Bronx. Uh, when really it's it's just this sex worker committing this random crime, uh, and I think there's smart ideas in this movie. Just they're never explored. Sure, yeah. I mean, eighty one. There was no smart people then. <laughs> <laughs> there is a while here where she's just doing bits, bits, bits. There's a bunch of very cheap films in here i watched her in the vindicator which is a very cheap uh canadian i i would say riff on robocop but it literally comes out a year before robocop is made so um but uh, she's the one of the villains in that movie um she's one of the villains in disney something wicked this way comes in 1983 i think she's really great as the dust witch but it's not a juicy role. She, I don't, I'm not even sure she has a line in the movie, but she's Ugh. just there to look beautiful and kind of creepy. And, um, and, and yeah, it, it is a lot of that. And, and literally what it is, what keeps her out of the acting field is that, um, in 1988, she's diagnosed with cervical cancer. Yep. And her doctors give her 18 months to live. I had put my estate all in a trust and prepared to go to every Chinese, you know, herbalist in America and yes, multitude of surgeries and treatment and therapy. And so I was really sick and lost all my hair and my eyebrows. You don't have a memory. You things happen to your body. Yeah. I was 39. Mm. My doctor said, you can't live in Los Angeles, too much toxic pollution. So if you have to go stay at home in Colorado, where it's cleaner, Wyoming. After that, you know, she does this this two-year-long vigorous treatment. She's been in remission ever since. There's a reason why there's like a dip in the quality of film she's making. Um, and so she ends up in things like Above the Law in 1988, which is the fucking first Steven Seagal film. 
Um, by the way, if you're a fan of this podcast, let it be known. Steven Seagal is not an actor. I'm so sorry. Ah! Um, the, uh, Steven Seagal, you're on fucking watch, honey. Yeah. Class of 1999 and 1990. I watched this movie. <laughs> she plays a cyborg in it. No, she doesn't play a cyborg. She plays a fucking robot. She play, It's her and two other robots, and they're like evil high school teachers. And it's like a few. It's a future where gang violence has become so bad that uh, the government has decided to send robotic um former teachers. robot soldiers in as teachers and they like literally these teachers just start slaughtering students and um Battle she's Royale. good in it but you know 90 i i, I do want to mention 91 bill and ted's bogus journey it's another tip spot but it's close to my heart okay um, she, she she plays the person who gets them in the battle advance and not to spoil anything but she may not be who see she says she is Uh-oh. Um, but then then we get to original gangsters in 1996 yeah so 96 is a very good year for her she basically she's healed she's feeling good in her body she is back in uh los angeles uh, and so original gangsters really is i mean it's such a 90s movie it's you know it's it's very much like a generation of black people who grew up in the 70s yes commiserating at the state of their community now because instead of uh you know the gangs looking out for each other it's and, and and instead of being loyal or instead of being you know talking things out it's gun violence and kids killing kids for no reason and and a lot of this movie is like we never used to do that we, you know we were just you know we weren't killing people um and this movie is very it's a slight movie it's a very like kind yeah. of you know i don't think it tackles any of the real things it wants to tackle um but just because it what it wants and is just, it's a very like kind of republican movie you know yeah it's it's it really wants to be a throwback to black exploitation and you know it stars fred williamson who co-directs it um jim brown is also one of the major stars of it they were all very popular during black exploitation but i i do think it's sort of a failure as well too you know the the idea is that her son is killed by gang violence and her her uh the father of her son is is uh fred williamson who has never really met him uh and yeah it 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 never succeeds and i i kind of feel like more than anything it really fails her character yeah because I mean, her like, character should sort of be the heart of the movie and she's like bare she's like barely a a person in it well like this movie is like okay community time to come together and fight back against gangsters so let's take a self defense class yeah what and she she does shoot a guy to death at the end of the movie, and it's maybe her best scene. And it's like I shouldn't be waiting for her to murder somebody for me to yeah. be like, "Wow, Pam Greer still got it." Get up! How you know that motherfucker ain't gonna blow up in your face? Well, let's find out. Woman's intuition. It's funny that you say this is a big year because it is a big year, but I also think it's a weirdly insulting year. And, mm. you know, I, I really love Mars Attacks. She's in Mars Attacks, but she literally, she plays Jim Brown's wife. And her, her like, whole deal is that she's like, I'm worried about the kids. The aliens are going to get us and the kid, And that's literally her entire yeah. thing. And then, uh-huh. and I was going to bring this up earlier and then it slipped my mind, but it, I think there are, in more ways than one, her career actually mirrors our previous subject, Michelle Rodriguez, because 
I think because she started off playing these tough characters, Hollywood sort of pigeonholed the type of women that she can play. And so she actually doesn't get a lot of opportunity to play these like really, you know, quote unquote feminine. By the way, I had a friend of mine who was like, oh, it's interesting that you kept referring to to Michelle Rodriguez in the mask and the roles. And I was like, oh, no, did we overdo it? And she's like, I don't mean it as like an insult. She's like, I don't think you were being negative, but it is really interesting. And I, I feel like Pam Greer, after the black exploitation ended, people do cast her and they, like they kind of forgot that sexy element of her. Yeah. And they were yeah. like, she's going to be tough. She plays a lot of cops. She plays a lot of army people. Um, she plays a lot of like very tough villains. Uh, 1996 is escape from LA. She plays. Oh man. She plays Hershey, uh, who is f- formerly carjack Malone. Hershey is a trans criminal, um, <laughs> who Snake Plissken once knew upon a time. Uh, her, she goes by Hershey Lapamas, and they they fucking add like a they like deepen her voice to be like, oh, she's not, you know, she's not a cis woman. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I I don't I don't know. I feel very conflicted about this character because I love her performance. I love, she like gives it a real performance. Hershey, you were in Cleveland? Oh yeah, with me in Texas, Mike O'Shea, except you looked a little different in those days, Carjack. You get one thing straight, please get I'm no longer Carjack Malone. I appreciate Les Palmas, the most dropped in to die for. No, you ever leave that one eye. I don't give a fuck what you are. I want to know what the hell happened to you and Cleveland. Hey, by the way, on urgent business, I got caught. You didn't. Don't lie to me. All right, so I made another deal. I got my ass kicked, not you. I've been in here five years, not you. The thing about Pam Greer is she's all of it. She's everything, you know? Right. She's the hard and the soft. And, and <laughs> these movies just like really kind of... <clears throat> she talks about like, they just didn't know what to do with her. They didn't know what to do with... Women, they didn't know it's certainly just to do with a black woman. Uh, and then, and with her, like, cause she had this name recognition. She was popular. She was famous for these very specific things, but then no one really gave her a chance to, you know, do anything else. And, and these roles are just like really thankless. Um, so yeah, 96, she has original gangsters, Escape from LA and Mars Attacks. Um, not huge roles, but like, it, Keep, keeping her in the zeitgeist. Yeah. And I will say, you know, like, this is an important time, though, because she, um, around this time, auditions for Quentin Tarantino yes. for Pulp Fiction. Yeah. He's a huge fan. He's obsessed with he, her. He actually has his office covered in movie posters that she appears on, and she she asks him, did you do this for me? Did you put these up? And he's like, actually, I was considering taking them down because I knew you were coming in take him or leave him i think he does or quentin does uh have like this weird brain that is just like he can see who he wants in his movies and he he is a very um generous caster like he casts he talks about how like there's always like a list that studios want like bankable stars and he's like fuck that i want this person because they are you know someone i want to work with or there's someone cool, someone interesting. And for him, Pam Greer is that person. Um, and so when he's writing his um, next movie... It's based on the book Rum Punch by Elmer Leonard. Um, it's the only adaptation that Quentin Tarantino has done to date. 
Um, and essentially, in the book Rum Punch, Jackie Brown is not named Jackie Brown. It's like Jackie Burke. And she's white and she's blonde. But when Quentin Tarantino is writing this adaptation, he begins thinking to himself, this character is so smart and so tough. She's the coolest fucking person in the room. She knows how to get what she wants. She's Pam Greer. Yeah. And and because he has this, uh, you know, equation in his head from the movies that he saw when he was a little kid, he was like, I can't think of anything be- anyone better to play this role than Pam Greer. Yeah. And so she sends her the script and she's like, I love it. Who do you, who do you have in mind for me? <laughs> And he's like, hello, Jackie yeah. Brown, the he's lead. He's like, did you not? First of all, he puts a, he literally puts a post-it on the, on the front page of the script that says, look at Jackie. And he's like, did you not see the post-it? And she's <laughs> like, she's like, yeah, but I didn't think that you, she was like, I kept looking for another character named Jackie. Like, there's another white man lying his ass off. Like, yeah, baby, I wrote a script for you. Oh, please. He says, no, no, really. I wrote it for you. It's a rum punch. Elmer Leonard. Leonard. I call her up like three days later or something like that. And she goes, okay, so what part are you thinking about me for? Who do you think? What do you mean, Jackie Brown? But I just didn't think it was for me. What I really didn't believe is like, okay, I'm Jackie Brown. And then he started mentioning and Sam Jackson and and Michael Keaton and and Robert De Niro and Bridget. I'm like, really? They've they've come aboard, really? He says, yeah. She's she's like over the moon though. She's yeah. Cannot believe that she has this great opportunity. Um, and I mean, yeah, Jackie Brown, perhaps one of her most iconic performances. You know, when you think of Pam Greer, you probably are thinking about the black exploitation stuff or right. Jackie Brown, which is a love letter to the genre. And, and that's, what's brilliant about it. You know, Jackie Brown, as opposed to something like original gangsters clearly comes from a black exploitation influence, but it's not interested in retreading the territory that black exploitation has covered. It might be using some of the themes. It might be using music that was traditionally in black exploitation films, but it is certainly not just a black exploitation film. Uh, he has said, you know, it's it's almost like you took coffee or Foxy Brown, and you were like, okay, that's what they did in the seventies, but now they've had to live in the real world since then. Yeah, yeah, and and giving her like a lived-in life, yeah. you know. She's not just a badass who is out for revenge, but she's a woman who has wants and needs. And I think she has such good chemistry um, with Robert Forster. Like, it's so sweet. And um, I, I, I had never seen this movie before. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The scene of just her, like, seeing what she's going to do at the very end with the gun. Yeah. And she has the lights on. She's practicing for this really tense moment where she's going to confront Samuel Jackson um, after, you know, kind of uh, duping him. And it's, it's, there's all so much uh, tenderness and, and, you know, she doesn't have to be the hard badass you know, woman, even though she is, she can also be scared and she can also be vulnerable. Um, yeah. She's so good. And also, pfft, that fucking hair. Oh. Uh, amazing. So good. Oh. And just the way her makeup changes throughout the movie. I could talk about that movie all day. 
You want to see some motherfucking silly? If I have to tell you to shut up one more time, I'm going to shut you up. I just came over here to talk to you. To talk? The way I see it, you and me got one motherfucking thing to talk about. One thing. And that's what you are willing to do for me. Post that, you would expect her to have this huge bump. And it just doesn't happen. truly doesn't really happen. She gets Golden Globe nominated. The Oscars completely shut her out. And that's the year fucking Helen Hunt wins for as good as it gets. Nothing against Helen Hunt, but like, come on. Yeah. Um, so not nominated. In fact, the only person that's nominated for Jackie Brown is Robert Forrester, which deserved. Yeah. But like wild that yeah. that's the only. Um, and so, you know, obviously. Um, here's the thing. We, we talk about the Oscars all the time. Oscars are only the Oscars are only important, you know, when the Oscars only matter until they don't. And that's sort of the situation. Had she won, she would have become the first black woman to receive best actress. Uh, but would that have helped her career? Who knows? Because as we mentioned in our Holly Berry episode, Holly Berry has said the Oscar, she's still the only black woman to have won the Oscar for best actress, did not help her at all. Did not give her the career boost that everybody says it gives you because she is still a black woman working in Hollywood. I worry the same thing would have happened. But because we didn't even get that, you end up with, um, you know, her in Jawbreaker, which is good, you know, but it's a small role. She's once again, a police detective in too deep. It's another small role. Holy smoke, which once again, it's really fantastic that she has worked with Jane Campion. She's in a scene yeah like i watched holy smoke for it and i was just like oh, okay i guess i didn't need to watch this i mean i'm glad i did but um snow day fortress 2 re-entry it's it's kind of all these like not great sort of low budget 3 a.m which we mentioned last week in our yep. michelle rodriguez episode uh these sort of indie films or these like tip spots in these big films ghost of mars we just talked about i will say uh the one place i would stop and be like, she has kind of a major role, is Bones. I think Bones is actually underrated. I think maybe huh. the mis- Yeah, I think maybe the mistake is that, like, Snoop Dogg is not scary, especially in a 2023 <laughs> context, where we think about him as the guy who fucking cooks with Martha Stewart on VH1. Right, right, right. But I, I think... Um, I think there's a really good movie that Ernest Dickerson didn't get to make, unfortunately. Um I, you know, I read about how he handed in a cut to the studio and the studio was like, we're looking for something a little more traditional. And so he had to like recut the movie and it's a slightly more generic horror movie, but you can really see, um, pun intended, I guess, the bones there. Um, LOL. And, and she's really good in it. And she has chemistry with fucking Snoop Dogg. So, hey. Now, your left hand is a past. Your right hand is the present and the future. Now this is your lifeline. And the... Jimmy, there's a line across your lifeline. Oh, it must be my clothesline. Maybe my phone line. Jimmy, I'm serious. Cancel the meeting. Don't go, okay? Stay with me. She does the, the man with the iron fists, which is like basically another a Quentin Tarantino produced movie, so it's like another favor. Um <laughs> 2017, she does Bad Grandmas, which is maybe one of the worst films I've ever seen. Correct. And Being Rose, which was cute. Mm. Cute. <laughs> um, 
Uh, yeah, Palms, which we mentioned in our Diane Keaton episode, she's in that. That's fun, at least. But uh-huh. but that's her like now being like I'm old. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that yeah. was a very quick breeze through all of that, but like it, the I wish I think you know there's some reality out there in which the Jackie Brown bump got her everything she's ever wanted. Yeah, and it just didn't happen here. Right, and I I think it's like. We're breezing for a reason, okay? Yeah. Uh, that none of these movies. I mean, a lot of these movies you've watched for other episodes, um, but like when we have talked about her, I would say you know, like literally last episode we talked about her in three a.m. It's it's uh, Ghost of Mars, like Jesus Christ, like it's just not good, and they're, it, it, they're not giving her good things to do. Right. She is relegated to. Working actress girly in the background. Yeah. Um, which is a shame because she can do such nuanced, fun, um, action-packed things. And Hollywood still, even after she's shown what she can do, they're like, meh, 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 meh. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's genuinely what's really frustrating. And she also, she does a lot of theater. In between, like, she, she did does. Frank, she did Frankie and Johnny at the Claire de Lune. I wish I could have seen that. We've talked about that a lot between our... Michelle Pfeiffer episode and our um, Kathy Bates, Kathy Bates episode. Uh, but also she, you know, she did 70 episodes of the L word. She plays one of the few straight characters on that show. By the way, the most shocking thing in that um, Pam Greer podcast, by the way, if you listen to the bonus episodes is that Quentin Tarantino has seen every episode of the L word. <laughs> um, I don't even know what to say to that. And, uh, but yeah, like, it's just really unfortunate because it feels like this is a person that should be on a pedestal. And more often than not, she's, she, you know, she's treated like any other, you know, like, yeah, I don't know where, where are, where are the people that rally around her? Like, where are the people that, um, you know, Jennifer Coolidge, the, the, the gays that like, hype it up for Jennifer Coolidge or, yeah. or, you know, the, any of the cast members, of the golden girls, when they are alive, like where, where are they? Where, why are they not rallying around Pam Greer? Who is a literal icon? Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously there is, she's a black woman. So there's that, but also I think she is not a Hollywood insider. She, yeah. you know, was always going to be the woman who liked riding horses Going back to the mountains, she was always the girl that was not doing coke. She was, yeah. she rarely drank. She just didn't fit into that world. She's not classically trained, so you know people didn't respect her in that way. You know, and like God, I hate to like give Quentin Tarantino a compliment, but like he saw what she could do, and not only what she could do, but also her um, what she had given to Hollywood. You know, what yeah. she what she had done and what she um, laid the groundwork for. Because there was – I mean, and she's talked about this and other people have as well. Like, yeah, you can shit on black exploitation all you want, but we were giving black people jobs, you know? Yeah. We were making – like, people who were getting their start in Hollywood started in black exploitation. Black um, stunt doubles before yeah. had no They're- work. There, there were literally no female black stunt doubles before Pam Greer came along, and she was, like, basically tired of them putting Filipino men in blackface. I didn't have a stunt woman. Okay. 
they hadn't developed a stunt woman. My size in the Philippines, they had this short little Filipino covered and, yes. and, 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 and and I think it was fashion fair number 38, yes. very dark. <laughs> and he had carpet on his hair to look like an Afro wig. Oh, Lord. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? You're good. You're really cute. Let's do it. Because the cobra, he can handle a cobra. Right, right. I couldn't. I was going to outrun that sucker. Right. I don't care. And guess what? There still aren't enough black stunt doubles. Like, right. li- literally. And... And so to all the things you've said and more, like, yes, like it's, it's, it is a shame and one of our great uh, societal fucking uh, failures that we have not given Pam Greer the love and respect she deserves for what she has done in this industry. And, and you know what? Fuck that. On top of that, she has kept working, even though, you know, she's paying the bills. Okay. She is still, no matter how fucking shitty the movie, she is still getting booked, okay? And there's a lot of girlies out there who would be like, no, meh, 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 meh. But <laughs> she is not that girl. She is going to stay booked, okay? Um, I want more and better things for her, of course. Yeah. But, like, it, it speaks to her, you know, determination and her, like, she has it's that's what's crazy. She has no pride. No like there's no nothing like proud about her that she's like I'm too good for this. I'm too good for yeah. her, her, her. No, she's 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 always going to work and I, yeah, and I love she's, that. She's she's not Heidi going. I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, um I just real quick on the politics front she is a lifelong democrat uh and she is very pro-union even going so far as basically unionizing the crews on her early exploitation movies yes Um, yes so yeah so she is she's definitely really fucking cool and yeah and we just haven't it's a it's a shame it's a real shame and and it would be another thing if she weren't so fucking talented you know i earlier i said that there are a lot of similarities between her and Michelle Rodriguez. And I like Michelle Rodriguez. We did an entire episode on her, but the range Pam Greer has puts Michelle Rodriguez to shame. And it's yeah. Oh yeah. It it makes me so mad. It makes me so mad. And I know I'm just like a fucking white dude, but like, no. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, we have gotten comments before about like, why are we talking about black people on the show? It's like, I would like to not ignore them. Yes. Um, yeah. I know, I know that we are, neither of us are of black experience, but I don't want to live in a world where we're ignoring these wonderful actors. Um, and we are not perfect commentators on these careers. Absolutely not. Would never claim to be, but this woman and the things that she has gone through and the work she has done, I am happy enough to put my fucking neck out there to talk about her career and how fucking good she is. And because, and again, this is why I like the show, because like I said, I was like, I, I, I not seen a lot of these movies uh, that she's in, but my God, like, I'm so happy I was able to, because she, it, it blows my mind even to go all the way back and watch coffee. If coffee, a movie made, certainly not for me, not made for you, yeah. like can hit us hard and really speak to us. And, and and resting on her shoulders and like she's kicking ass, she's empathetic, she's beautiful. Like, what else do you guys fucking want in a in yeah. a celebrity superstar actress? She has it all. She has always had it. And this and is someone who did not even fucking like she's self-taught. Like, what the fuck? 
And there's a lineage of actors we wouldn't have without her. You know, the Jamie Lee Curtis's of the world, the fucking Sigourney Weavers of the world. We would not have them. We would yes. not have these, the Linda Hamiltons. We would not have these action stars. Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. The, like, even fucking Uma Thurman. Uma, Uma Thurman's character in Kill Bill does not exist if coffee doesn't exist. Yeah. And, and like, again, it is... It is something to just, like, keep in your mind, like, the first American action star, like, female action star was a black woman, you know? Yes. And and that is important to say. That's important for me to say. That's important for you to say. That's important for everyone to say. Um, and so, yes. And, 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 and not only is she an action star, but she's just, like, a wonderful actress. Like, yeah. And, and when she was given the opportunity to do that, like and stuff, like Jackie Brown, God, it's it's devastating. It's so good. It's so good. All right. I think that wraps up our rewind. Why don't we get into our one-star reviews just to get the ickiness out of the way? Yes. Let's move in into our ones that we didn't perhaps like very much. There's certainly, like, you know, we've talked about roles that are thankless and yeah, movies that were made on the cheap and, you know, all sorts of not great things in this body of work. Movies that are below her, um, but below her stature, not below her for taking them. Correct. Um, I I think <laughs> for the role, for the movie, for the wig work, I'm going to go with 2017's Bad Grandmas. Um, this is an alleged movie. Starring, <laughs> it was released to theaters. But go on. <laughs> well, because there was that cute little genre of movie where bad right. moms, bad children, like bad everyone's Santa. bad. Everyone's bad, bad. Bad teacher. Everyone's bad. Um, and now we have bad grandmas starring fucking Florence Henderson. Yeah. May she rest in peace. It was her final film role. Funny enough, this was not uh, Pam Greer's first film with Florence Henderson. She right. also made uh, Ladies of the House, which is like a Hallmark movie, but also like I the 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 rip of it that I saw was the f- like faith and family version. Blech. And I, yeah, it, it, it so, somehow is not as bad as this, but go on. Um, it's an independent movie starring um, Pam Florence um judge reinhold as the big bad oh my god um, such so much slumming going on and it's these four grandmas who want to uh, there's a bad guy who is using or gonna sell a, a, one of the grandma's houses to pay off a drug dealer and florence is like what if i go scare him to give the house back ends up killing him yeah um by accident question mark <laughs> well at first by accident but then he survives and he she fully just stabs him she fully stabs him yeah um, no, there's no these these women are psychotic there's yes. no like I, th- th- deeper I think this, examination of that in any way shape or form the yeah i think like this movie wants to be camp and silly but it's not Right. It's it, it doesn't know what tone it wants to be. It's clearly going for the, the ridiculous, but like Yeah. Uh, it's, not, ju- it's it's not funny enough. There's no jokes. There's no there's literally no jokes. Like cue literally the where are the jokes drag race gif. Yep. Um Judge Reinhold is is this drug dealer. 
He kidnaps one of the grandmas. He sends another man to kill them. Uh, literally, Pam Greer flat out murders this man with a frying pan, just like climbs on top of him and beats him to death with a frying pan. Oh, oh my God. Oh, Corley, you did it. You did it. The only good man is a dead man. In the end, they decide to make it look like Judge Reinhold is responsible for these two other deaths while attempting to get this fourth grandmother back. Um, They get high during it because it's hilarious when old people smoke pot. Uh Um, This movie has the production values of Birdemic. It's so bad. It's clearly like balsa wood sets. Right. Well, uh, for- they, they, they um, raised twenty thousand uh, dollars from a crowdfunder scenario. You can. I'm tell- so sorry for anybody who donated to this. You I do know. not deserve this. You really don't. Like you can. Like the guns. It feels like they're kind of like. There, there's literal. CG bullet holes in Correct. in in like things that are Correct. that disappear in other shots. My um listen, I'm not an expert. I I didn't go to school for cinematography. I ended up in an editing career. Um it's what I'm good at. Like so I don't want to comment too much on the cinematography, but hey, for those of you in our Patreon audience who can see this video, what you see right now is you see a light in my eyes because Scary. I have a ring light, right? <laughs> when you light things, in movies, you do it so there's light in people's eyes. Because if you don't do that, they look dead. Yes. There are scenes in this movie where everyone looks dead because the lighting is so flat. I, w- I was there. There's a scene where Florence Henderson and Pam Greer are talking to her grandson. And I was just like, everybody looks like a fucking zombie. What is well- happening? But also, like, even what is a flash drive? Oh, like it's yeah. I, I was like, you. C- yes, <laughs> old old people exist. They are <laughs> they are not stupid. Okay, like what the fuck? Also, again, I simply must reiterate the wig work. Oh my god! Why is Pam wearing this shake and go like Fl- flat. sloppy flat sloppy doppy? Thirsty, like crunchy, crunchy, like all the adjectives, all the things. I it is shocking, and I she's love you, Pam. You know what you did in this movie. It's very clear. (laughs) You know what you did in this movie was making me laugh. It's very (laughs) clear that there are scenes where they were asked to improv. Yeah. And Pam just doesn't know what to do with herself. And I'm not she, saying that she can't improv. I think the material is so bad and weak that she's just like, I, I well, truly don't know what to do. Well, she's she's a planner girly. She yeah. wants to prepare. And I'm sure, like, Florence is a comedian, you know, and she probably felt a little... And she does yeah, feel... Yeah, but, but most of Florence's improvs are like, if I throw in a fuck or if I say something, yeah. like, nasty... Right. It'll get a laugh, but like it doesn't. Right. No, what I meant to say is like Florence is she's the comedian of the bunch. Yes. And so she does feel the most natural, but like everyone else is like, 
What the fuck is going on? She said she was going shopping last night. Now, if she did, why is her car still in the parking lot? Something's happened to her. <sighs> Mimi, how many times have I told you, don't speak to me in that tone, I don't appreciate it. I ain't your bitch. I'm sorry, Carly. <sighs> it feels like somebody tricked all of these actors. If you haven't guessed yet, by the way, this is also my one-star review. I have oh, no good. other backup. Okay, yeah. good, good, good. Um, it, it feels like they were held at gunpoint to yeah. to um i real quick i i don't want to belabor too much of bad grandmas uh other than to tell you it's unwatchable and i, I truly one of the worst films we've ever covered on this and it's not pam's fault but she's certainly not good in it um directed I would... by srikant shalapa who is now the ceo of a technology high performance something i don't know <laughs> even all of that being said bad grandma still takes the cake because it is not a movie <laughs> no no it uh, there are high school students who've made better movies than this i made better movies in high school than this <laughs> all right work work girl <laughs> I could keep this going, but I don't want to give away my OnlyFans information. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've seen it. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that like kind of you know covers our one star territory, right? Yes. All right, let's get into our five star reviews. I think there's like obviously the Jackie Brown of it all. It's it's hard to kind of not say Jackie Brown just yeah. because it is the shining example of her doing it all um so like i it just has to be jackie brown yeah um even though i really loved coffee um i think that movie is so good and very tells us a lot about how good she is um so young like and self-taught um i think for those nine fucking minutes she has in fort apache the bronx she is so good. And again, yeah. just like a little glimmer of like what she can do to take this kind of beaten up, broken down sex worker and put so much energy, passion, pathos into it. Like it's it's again like, God, what a fucking shame um, because she's she's so good. Uh, but yeah, you just can't really deny Jackie Brown. I don't know how you feel, Gavin. <laughs> Um, I'm in the same boat. I, you know, earlier you said we have a complicated history with Quentin Tarantino films in this podcast. Uh, I did give Kill Bill my five star review on our Uma Thurman episode, but I think we've mostly said sort of, I I think post Jackie Brown, his career has been save it what you will. You know, the, the there's some things I like. There's some things I definitely don't like. Um, but that being said. This movie is such a gift. This movie yeah. is such a gift to Pam Greer. Um, I think what goes under the radar and doesn't get talked about as much is, you know, for this sort of um, exploitation, black exploitation homage. Uh, it's also this just really fucking beautiful film about getting old. Yeah, and, and how shitty the system is in America for older people and um i have a really personal connection to this movie i i didn't see this movie when it came out uh but i i remember buying it in college uh at my uh 
at the campus bookstore. And I, I watched it and I loved it. And I was like, this is the best Quentin Tarantino movie. I remember bringing it home and showing it to my dad. And there's that amazing scene where she talks about um, starting over. Mm-hmm. Something else were you? I always feel like I'm starting over. How many pounds you said you wrote? 15,000. Is that a lot? It's plenty. Well, I've flown over 7 million miles and I've been waiting on people for 20 years. And after my bus, the best job I could get was with Cabo Air, which is the worst job you could get in this industry. You know, I make 16000 a year, plus retirement benefits that ain't worth a damn. And with this arrest hanging over my head, Max, I'm scared. And if I lose this job, I gotta start all over again, and I ain't got nothing to start over with. I'll be stuck with whatever I can get. And that shit is more scary than Ordell. My dad had lost his job. He'd worked at a factory. The factory moved overseas. Um, he was in his 40s. Um, and I looked over at him during that scene and he was he was crying. And I realized like how impactful like this movie is about crime. And it's literally about she wants to do one last big uh big score because it's all she has left. Yeah. And that, it hit something in my dad and it made me like connect. My dad never had a job again until he died. Um that's just the way life is. And that scene, I think specifically because you also have Robert Forrester there and he doesn't mind aging as much. And, you know, he, he, he's not seeing it through her eyes of being like, listen, I have, I'm an ex con. I don't have any other options. This is the only way I can make it in this world. I just think this movie is really beautiful. Uh, I, I guess we maybe didn't, give a full plot description of Jackie Brown. I'm sorry. I'm getting really emotional thinking about it. My, my dad's no longer with us. Um, not a perfect person, but it was nice to see him as a human in that moment. No. Yeah. I mean, first of all, Gavin, thank you for sharing. This is lovely, wonderful. And the reason why we do this and the reason why movies like hit us so hard sometimes, right? Like, and we've talked about that a lot, how movies don't have to be perfect to be meaningful um, to us for all sorts of reasons. And you're totally right. And the the thing I keep thinking about in this movie is like Robert Forrester is able to talk to her in this way and and kind of be more kind of ambivalent about the aging and whatever. But it's like he literally works within the system. Right. He's part of the system. And so like the the alleged romance is that he, someone in the system, is able to see her humanity and is able to kind of, you know, support her and sees her. Obviously, as a beautiful woman, you know, he talks about they're both they have that moment where he's like, I bet you you look the exact same way, except yeah. like with an afro or whatever. Um, and, and they kind of see each other in ways that I guess no one else does anymore. Right. Um, and and the, and the world around them is hard and chaotic and full of psychopaths, literal fucking psychopaths. Uh, <laughs> genuine psychopath um we we should mention uh plot description 
Jackie Brown is a flight attendant. She's in her she's 44. Uh, she works for the shittiest airline possible, but she also works for Ordell Robbie, who is a drug dealer. And she basically ferries money back and forth from overseas for him. She gets caught by ATF agent Ray Nicoletti, played by Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton, a former subject. And basically, he wants to set up a sting with her. And she realizes she can use the sting to her advantage. She can basically rip off Ordell, get the money, and get Ordell arrested. Because what the ATF really wants is the guns. Because... Ordell is running guns as well, and that's the real thing that's going to get him arrested. And so she ropes in uh, a bail bondsman played by um, Robert Forrester, brilliantly played by Robert Forrester, Max Cherry, into helping her with this scheme. Um, Max Cherry falls in love with her during this time. And actually, you know, th- I think that's the other thing that that's really brilliant about this movie. Um Tarantino has a lot of tricks in his bag, a lot of tricks, filmic tricks that he uses, nonlinear storytelling, uh, a lot of really smooth camera movements, a lot of, and I, this movie is so deliberately paced and really sits on the nonlinear stuff until the end. Yeah. That, that he's able to really let these characters breathe. One of my favorite moments is Max Cherry, Robert Forrester's character, falls in love with her the moment he sees her as she's walking out of jail because he has just paid her bail on behalf of Samuel Jackson's Ordell. And she's not even lit. She's in silhouette and he sees her walking towards him and the camera just lingers on his face. And you know from that moment, he's fucking sprung. He's like, yeah, I'm yeah. in. Uh, and and she could literally ask him to, if she was like I need you to stab Ordell in the chest he'd be like fine uh, I mean I don't know but I guess like- yeah yeah no yeah there's a lot of the tricks that he deploys are very they pay off and and yeah. tricks tricks suck un- unless they are are earned and are meaningful and like all of them land you know the it's it reminded me a lot of like the how catch him stuff we were talking about because yeah. It shows us, you know, we're doing this scene over and over again from all these different angles and what's going on. Um, and and the movie is also like first, it sits a lot. There's a lot of long takes, but it's yeah. also very, it's also very taut. I think Samuel Jackson is so scary. Um, <laughs> I Robert De Niro when he fucking kills that girl, I was like, oh my god, yeah, P- poor uh, Bridget Fonda genuinely poor bridget fonda last talked about in single white female um the uh i think whoever decided to give samuel jackson that hair that was samuel jackson samuel jackson decided the goatee and the and the ponytail is so gross (laughs) it is so unnerving and disturbing uh yeah there's a lot to love about this movie i like i like the way it looks i think the colors are really well done. Yeah, I, it's 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 really stylish, and it is taking a lot, like a lot of that, you know, that information. Quentin Tarantino is not a person who minces words. I've heard him be like, you know, Jack Hill was directing was exactly where he should have been in terms of directing movies, which is like such a shitty thing for him to say because Jack Hill only made exploitation movies. But <laughs> um, there's a lot of nods to that, but yeah. in a very sort of elevated way and of a kind of film schooly sort of way yeah she said um, you like easter eggs here's a few yeah there's a lot of um you know that the, this there's a part of her plan is she is tricking 
uh, Michael Keaton's character into believing that uh, Bridget Fonda like ran in and stole the money. And so she has to act all panicked and the music is really heightened there. And all of that music is the music of of her running away at the end of Coffee. Those nods to like that stuff, but without being like so overt. And so like that was my problem with original gangsters is original gangsters was like, hey, remember black exploitation? Yeah. And Quentin Tarantino's not like, hey, remember black exploitation, but kind of like, you know, like black exploitation was a thing. But yeah. But also it's like black people exist in our reality. Yeah. And it's not like just this thing to consume for like you know as this wild crazy thing it's like no the reality is like there are people who live like this and but it's not just this it's you know she has hopes and dreams and like oh i love the conversation when she's like do you ever just think about taking it all and going away and like you know the at the end where she's like come on sweetie i got the dollars yeah and and you know oh my god the heartbreaking not to and I'm not spoiling anything, but there's a line towards the end of the movie where it's very clear that her and Max are just not going to end up together and, and they should, or maybe they shouldn't, who knows? And, you know, she, she tells him, you know, I didn't use you. And, and he's like, I, you know, but his phone rings and she goes, you're on the job. Uh huh. And I was just like, Oh, my yeah. heart just broke in that moment. Yeah, it's it's very, very good. Um, so if you haven't seen Jackie Brown or haven't seen it in a while, worth a revisit. Yeah, truly, truly my favorite Tarantino film. I, I think there is no and, you know, maybe some people think that's a cop out because it's his only adaptation. But I think I don't know. I I think he should maybe do more adaptations, but I guess he's only doing one more movie. So who knows? Who knows? Um, like I mentioned, I think. uh we both think coffee is very yes. worth your time. If you if you want to dibble dabble in the world of black exploitation, there are worse places to start than coffee. Um, I I also I I watched the arena. <laughs> um, yes, I, I forgot about the arena. Uh, it's fine. I fine. think the, I honestly think the arena is better than Black Mama White Mama, and that's it's the other movie with the same co star, but. Yeah, uh, it's basically gladiator girlies. Yeah, gladiator girlies. That that is considered the title. Actually, I would say, like honestly, that that four quadrant of coffee, Foxy Brown, Sheba Baby, and Freddie Foster. Like, if you put them on at a party, put them on in the background too. Like, yeah, gorgeous a, to look it's at. A, it's a fucking vibe. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I I think that kind of covers our reviews before we get into our fast forward why don't we do our mixed reviews review both gavin and i chose 2017's bad grandmas as our one-star review and both louie and i picked 1997's jackie brown as our five-star review very rare occurrence we are completely in sync we are drift compatible (laughs) (laughs) all right let's get into our fast forward We mentioned up front, I I don't know if it's in the episode or we mentioned it before because everything's sort of blending together. That that Aqua Velva, man. Woo! She got Um, you going. uh, I I laughed. I cried. I I, uh, know. um, Now I know if I want to get you to spill some secrets, what's to get in you, babe? (laughs) Um, Too many many jokes to follow that up with. Uh, Cinnamon... (laughs) 
cinnamon, uh, which is an another um, hearkening back to black exploitation, is her new film. It actually is playing Tribeca Film Festival right now and comes out on June twenty third on Tubi. I will be checking it out. I'm I'm excited to see it. Uh, her Damon Wayans, like I said, it's a throwback. I hope it's not like I hope it's more Jackie Brown than original Gangsters. Yeah, in all honesty, she also has as we know it, which is a zombie um, rom com that's coming out. Uh, a zom com, if you will. Love and, that. Um, and she's also doing the the like new Pet Cemetery movie, which is like. Maybe a prequel, maybe a sequel to the latest Pet Cemetery. I didn't think a lot about the the new Pet Cemetery remake. I'm curious to see where this is. Um, but she says she's constantly working on things. She wants to direct. She wants to write. She's really pushing herself. She's 74. She's still going at it, still going strong. Uh, is there anything that you would like to see from her that, that you haven't quite gotten? You know, I... I do, I mean, I'm not against, you know, these, you know, elder, iconic women doing these, like, kind of soft movies, kind of, like, very gentle, friendly, silly Billy movies. I don't think, like, any of them, though, have given her a lot to do. I do think, like, it'd be funny or fun to see, like, because have we seen her do, like, real romance, you know? Not in a long time. I mean, there was a, the the, like, Italian... A movie that that came right after the black exploitation period. We didn't even talk about it, but yeah, yeah. I, I just feel outside like outside of that, I just feel like you know she again a lot of. I mean, cinnamon is proof. Same thing, like hard hardness. It's and where is where is the soft? Because I do right. think the softness is what makes I think Jackie Brown really sing to like see her be vulnerable is, is just so like, she's so endearing and, and I don't know. She has so much going on behind those eyes and she has such like precise movements and things like that. Um, but maybe it's just because like, there's no fucking good men. How about that? <laughs> like, Robert- right. And that, I mean, it is certainly, you know, I, I agree. I would, I would love to see her. And like, that's one of the things I love about Jackie Brown is, it's also low key a romance. Like the the her and Max Cherry stuff is so good, and I I wish there had been more of that in her career. Um, I mean, because even even some of the earlier black exploitation stuff where she actually does have a romance, those guys turn out to be the fucking worst. Yes. Um, so I you know I I would love for that to uh to like be something that she could have. Um, also, I know I know we literally say this um, every episode, right? That she that uh, we'd love to see them on stage. She is an actor's actor. I would love to see her on stage. Fucking Stephen McKinley Henderson was just nominated for a Tony Award. He lost it last night, but he was in Lady Bird. I think that's where a lot of people know him from. But he was nominated for Between Riverside and Crazy. He's seventy three. Yeah, you know Pam Greer would be certainly at home on stage. If yeah. somebody could find the right vehicle for her, put her in, you know, a great play. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, she, I'm interested to see like what uh, she's giving us in cinnamon. Um, I don't know that I like necessarily n- need the retread of yes. this stuff again. Yeah, I feel the same way. 
Because at a certain point, it's just reductive. Like, we've seen it. We I don't need... Especially because black exploitation is such a time and a place and means a certain thing to certain people and certain things to other people. And, like, I I just... Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I'm okay with her hanging yeah. up. Or, like, this being the last black exploitation right. nod. I think also just because, you know, we are so lucky to be in a time when young black actors are getting more opportunities um, to do really good work. Like I would love to see her being like Taraji P. Henson's mom, Virginia King's mom, like something really dramatic, you know, like I, I, and not in a Tyler Perry way. I was going to say like, not a Tyler Perry way, but like those, we have some really fucking Titanic black actresses who could, you know, blow the doors off the fucking like screen and i think she could be in that universe i think as a matriarch of a family who has a secret perhaps um like i think there's and and there are also a lot of great um you know black filmmakers and black um, playwrights who have a lot of strong things both on the stage and off and i think you know pam is so underutilized and she would be great um and, and again she's got the name recognition she can do it all like it it's time it is time yeah absolutely i yeah the on, the only thing i would add to that is she's so naturally funny that yeah. the, to give her like a good like a really good comedy where it's not just like i'm old and i have a frying pan and can yeah. beat you to death with it here's a turkey thing what's what the turkey cutter things oh yeah 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 the like electric electric shaver let's cut bones with this oh stupid um and so a a good script some good wigs um and we'll be fine because once again she'll work she will work no matter the quality of the of the thing that's given to her so like please just in her twilight years give her the good shit give her the good shit come on i know (laughs) you, you guys you guys have it just share Absolutely. Uh, I think that wraps up Pam Greer beautifully. This was um this was an episode that didn't go the places I thought it was going to, but also like was some of the most I watched more films for this episode than I have for any other episode this year. Wow. Um I yeah, the I mean on on the other side of that, most black exploitation movies are about ninety minutes, so it was mm-hmm. pretty easy. Um, that's like three episodes of, of a sitcom. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think I think this is a, a good place to to end our tribute to Pam Greer. Pammy, we love you and we love you, uh, Pam. Uh, may you have many more years of doing exactly what you want to do. Yes, um, and thank you to all of our listeners and people who voted to get us to do this Pam Greer episode because yeah. there was there are some other girlies on. Um, in our May Madness, who are also deserving. Uh, but this was so much fun. Absolutely. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can always find us on Twitter at, at The Mixed Reviews. Or also on Facebook, just type in The Mixed Reviews. If you want to email us, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Or also on Instagram at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to listen to our back catalog like you just listened to this episode, we're on every major podcast app. Please stop by any of those. Rate and review us. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a little review. We'll read it on the show, especially if you're a listener on Apple Podcasts, because that helps in visibility. And if you don't want to do any of that, just tell other people about our show, because word of mouth is one of the biggest ways that our show gets around. And honey, we love getting around. Oh, absolutely. You can ask any of our 
Patreon supporters about that. That's right. You can watch full video episodes, by the way, of our show. That includes video clips. That includes everything that we put in the show. And I last week, I made an extended cut of our Michelle Rodriguez episode. Maybe this episode will have an extended cut, too. You'll just have to sign up for our Patreon to find out. Until next time, though, we will... Oh, well, until next time, though, have a really great um, Pride season, everyone. Absolutely. Um, Stay safe out there, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Well, 99 years is a long, long, long time. 99 years is such a long, long, long time. 99 years is a long, long time. Well, look at me. I'll never be free. I'm a long time I'm just taking a sip of my aqua velvet here, by the way. I, I figured a nice 70s cocktail would go along with a Miss Pamela Greer episode. It, it's very radioactive looking, I'll mm-hmm. say. <laughs> it tastes like booze. Um, it is mostly booze. <laughs> oh, good.